No one has all the answers, but some of us find them on our own. Dr. Abdel K. Fistok has been a surgeon for over 35 years. His personal life's journey took him from being a smoking couch potato to an iron man and influenced not only his cosmetic and reconstructive surgery practice, but his own personal well-being. Join him as he describes how the power of choice can change your life, your physical and mental health, and your self-esteem. One, two, three, one, two, three, testing. Today is um, July 23rd, and this is the beginning of a my journey as a podcaster. One, two, three, this is Dr. Fustock, Abdel Fustock, and this is the beginning of something that I would like to see uh, meaning or the beginning of a journey as a podcaster. I am 82, and it will be very unusual for somebody to start a podcast at the age of 82. So my answer to that is, number one, why not? Age is a relative thing. You could age. I see people in my office who are in their 40s, chronologically, but biologically they're in their late 80s. And I see people in their 60s and 70s chronologically, but physiologically and biologically they are in their 40s. To me, this is the beginning of a long road trip. Anything we do individually is a self-discovery. And I want to tell you, I'll let you know that there is a British citizen who started running at the young age of 89. He was not a runner before. And then, surprisingly, he was able to finish London Marathon at the young age of 101. Can you believe it? Yes, it's believable. Humans, we, we are barely scratching at, the poten- at our potential. And we can do a lot of things if we, A, believe that we can, and B, train for that, whatever project, whatever exercise you want to start. So this is, in, in, uh, I was 84 when I had to have a a stress test and a complete physical exam, at the time, the purpose of it was to pass my stress exam and physical exam and blood exam, uh, to pass it for the purchase of a uh, insurance uh, purpose. I was buying a life insurance, and that was required. And I, for the purpose of that, that purchase, I passed. But to me, as a person, I knew that my genetic makeup include a heart disease. My dad died from his heart disease 
at the age of barely into his 70s. He went to sleep and didn't wake up. His only sibling was his sister, older sister, who had history of hypertension, heart disease, and she, she succumbed to a, a stroke, a major stroke. So I knew my genetic is not favorable, but nonetheless, at the time, I wasn't really doing anything. My routine, I was starting to build my practice as a plastic surgeon at the medical center in Houston, Texas. And I was busy. I was making money and establishing a name for myself. I'm still doing that. I'm still fully engaged in my practice. So I was busy. My daily routine is to come home from work, from the office or from surgery, eat dinner probably around 7.30, 8 o'clock, watch any kind of sport uh, on TV. It could have been at the time the Oilers or the Astros or the Rockets. And by 10, 10.30, I would go to bed, and the next day I would repeat the, th the, the same thing. I was a smoker as well. I was smoking cigarettes. Uh, I was smoking pipe. And the cigarettes I was smoking are French cigarettes. You see, I had to learn my English. I'm still learning it uh, from through the French language. So I hope that my accent doesn't detract you from listening to me. Because this journey that since 20, 1984, the f I, I, it got me to start paying attention to my blood pressure. My cardiologist pronounced me in, 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 in excellent shape, but at the time, one of the exam was to take my blood pressure. A very simple exam that every one of us probably has done it many, many times. And the blood pressure, as you know, has a two numbers, the high numbers and the low numbers. The high numbers, we call it systolic, is when the heart is actually pumping. And the low number, number which is diastolic, meaning when the heart is relaxing. So my high number was fine. My low number was, meaning the diastolic, was hovering around 85, 86, 87. And that number is very close to 90. 90 is, by definition, hypertension, high blood pressure. How do we know that? How do we actually determine what's normal and what's not normal? Is by taking a sample of a cross-section of people and then take their blood pressure, and then take the average of those 100 people that you take, and that would be what is considered to be normal. Um, so I didn't like that my blood pressure, the diastolic, was, was high. So I said I need really to change my lifestyle. I started first walking. Uh, I had a house on Taylor Lake in a subdivision called Timber Cove, and that was started by the astronauts in the 60s. And most of the astronauts at the time that were training at NASA in Clear Lake, and that was 
the subdivision that was created. I had a house facing on on the water, and um, so going going from walking, and then start jogging. Over, I would say about six months, I started going from jog and 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 walk, jog and walk, jog and walk, and I would lengthen it every two or three weeks. I would make it a longer. My son at the time was uh, 14, and he would take go on his bike, and we'd go around the neighborhood, and we would have what I, I was calling a, a quality time together, sharing uh, him biking and, uh, and me walking and jogging. Uh, I became a, a friend of Michael Smith, who was one of the astronauts, and Michael Smith was a, a runner, and he's in excellent physical shape. So I had to match with him. Uh, once I got to know him and he got to know me, his wife was a client of mine at the time. Uh, as you know, he, was, he perished in the Challenger explosion, and I still miss him. And um, I remember Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, coming to Clear Lake and making a speech uh, at that uh, during the funeral of Michael Smith. Um, so that was the start. I started slowly walking, and then I got to walk and jog about three miles a day, five times a week. Then uh, after a while, I thought I thought that my my uh, heart rate start to go down. I lost some weight. I had, you know, some intra-abdominal fat, which we call visceral fat. We'll talk about that later on in this podcast to, for you to know the difference between the, the subcutaneous fat and the visceral fat. Uh, so anyhow, I went back to the cardiologist six months later, and I said, I want to have another stress test. And I did. Well, my heart rate, as I said, went down. My systolic went down. Uh, lost a, a few pounds. But my diastolic was still in the same um, not, I mean, in the same number, between 85 to 88, 87. That was disturbing. So maybe I need to do more. I start doing more running than walking or jogging. And again, I would say six months later, I went to see now a different cardiologist. I thought by changing uh, the, uh, the cardiologist, uh, maybe th the outcome will change. You know, we do that all the time. And we have, a, uh, we have some doubt, we doubt. Maybe it's not me, it's just the, the uh, physician. Again, I improved a lot on my stamina, on my fitness, and went back and had another stress test and a complete physical exam. And it's really, it, the, it was the same outcome, the same result. That led me to um, start looking into nutrition. And obviously by then I quit smoking, and uh, so I started reading books on nutrition just to 
let you know that when we study, we go to medical school and we finish our medical school, then we do our training. We're really, we are trained to A, make a diagnosis. If somebody comes with an ailment, we make a diagnosis and then we give that person some medicine to treat the diagnosis. And th that was it. We were not taught in medical school about wellness. Wellness was not a subject in, in, in the curriculum of medical school. At least you know, I went to medical school in France and then came here in 19, uh, uh, 1976, at the end of 75, beginning of 76. Um, and that's, that was it. We diagnose and then we give medication. Uh, wellness is not part of the program. And we, we'll ha we have a hard time defining wellness. We sometimes the absence of disease cannot, doesn't equal wellness. Absence of disease is not wellness. It's wellness is a state of physical fitness, physical mind, and whereby you feel like you can do anything and you can climb steps, you can run, and your heart rate, your blood pressure will stay stable. So start looking into nutrition. And as I said before, anything we do, anything we do whatsoever as individual is, is nothing but self-discovery. You discover who you are. You discover what you stand for. You discover how high is high, and you keep pushing the envelope until you know you, you get to the point where there is really very little limits to our ability and to our possibilities. So I start looking into nutrition, and I've read one book after the other, and changing every time I read a book. I implement the recommendation of that book and change a little bit. Uh, uh, until one day between changing nutrition, I, was, I got to, to run almost six miles a day, six or seven days a week. So I completely changed my lifestyle. I started changing my eating habit. And one day I was, I was running on Memorial uh, in Memorial Park, and I see somebody advertising for training for a marathon. And I said, what's a marathon? And they said, okay, we can train you for it. A marathon is 26.2 miles. And there was close to, uh, to the Houston Marathon, about three months before the, the Houston Marathon. And sure enough, I started running with these people, and we were divided into subgroups based on our desire uh, time for the marathon. If you want to do it in three hours, two and a half hours, uh, four hours, whatever, they put you with the group that will finish the marathon in, in that time, in that time frame. So I started running with the uh, Runner's High Club. And uh, they did train me, and we would run on Saturday, on Sunday, and then I discovered some runners, and before long, we formed a group of runners. 
And I started uh, my my first marathon, Houston Marathon. Um, I I finished in 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 about less than three hours, not close to that, to close to three than to two and a half. And um, the next day on Monday, I think the marathon was on a Sunday. The next day, I could not. My legs became like uh, uh, like steel. So I I could move around and ambulate with difficulties. But it didn't last long. Uh, a week later, I was back to... Uh... So I said, I'm going to go, and now I'm changing my diet. I almost became not a vegan, but a vegetarian. So there was no red meat, no anything other than mostly, mostly uh, plant-based uh, food. And then I went back to my another cardiologist, and I did my complete physical, including a stress test. By that time, it's been three years. And suddenly I was, my diastolic pressure, meaning my diastolic blood pressure, the lower number that was hovering in the upper 80s, went down into the 60s. So I knew then that exercise is not enough. You have to change the, your diet, at least as far as I'm concerned. That what worked with me for me. And uh, I was very happy because at one point in time, one of the cardiologists said, well, can, we can give you a medication to control your blood pressure. I said, I don't want to have medication. I don't want to depend on medication for the rest of my life. And I was able, really, uh, to uh, change my lifestyle, and that affected the whole family, and they hated it. My children didn't want to eat the way I eat. So when we go out, because we we used to go out every, every Friday afternoon or Saturday, and they will eat whatever they want. I will eat to me if there is a salad and maybe a wild fish, and I will eat that. But in the process, and I'm still changing my diet till today. So our group of runners start going and doing. We stopped doing marathons after I've done probably about 15, 20 marathons, sometimes twice, twice a year or three times a year. We stopped. We decided that we will not run on hard surface anymore. And we shifted to doing ultra run. So ultra run meaning more than a marathon. And it's mostly on dirt, on in the mountains. And we started doing um, 50 miles, 50K, three times a year. And we travel to uh, Sacramento. We do the American River to uh, the 50 miles American River. Lake Tahoe, where it was 50 miles around the, the rim of Lake Tahoe. And Lake Tahoe was so difficult because of the mountains. The mountain is up and down, up and down, and we were barely running, mostly climbing and coming down. At one point and one year, even in June, there was some snow at the top of the mountain. 
So my hour average my uh, was about uh, ten, 11 hours or 12 hours for the uh, Lake Tahoe, uh, 50 miles. And it says on the shirt, it says, a glimpse of heaven, a taste of hell. Of hell, I'm sorry, not here, a taste of hell. And it really is accurate. It's really a, uh, a glimpse of heaven when you see all that marvelous uh, panorama of, of wildflowers, uh, mountains, uh, clean air, cool air, and just, just it's a different from pounding the pavement. Uh, so that's by, that was happened by accident. Really, we did not. It just everything that we we've, I've done is just I moved or morphed from into a different realm and different exercise, different. Uh, uh, but doing ultra marathon was a blessing for me because we stopped pounding the pavement and you start enjoying the environment. One of the best one I've done is is the Wyoming the. Uh, 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 the uh, uh, Big Horn. Uh, it's it's a really a wonderful. As you as we came down, you come down from the. I've done that three or four times because I loved it. And uh, as we come down, there is a river that thunders as it goes down the uh, the mountains. And uh, so it it uh, you cannot experience this. This environment, this beautiful environment from an airplane, from a train, or from a car. You have to be on the mountains and just enjoy, enjoy the surrounding. And uh, we, finishing or time-wise, became non a factor, not a factor at all, because the enjoyment became the reason why we were doing it. So I've we've gotten doing that until one day, one of my uh, running mates said he wanted to do a hundred miles. A hundred miles? I said, yeah, there is a Mohican Trail southwest of Cleveland, Ohio, and that would would be a hundred miles. So I said, why not? Let's go and do a hundred miles. So we traveled to Cleveland. Obviously, we took an airplane and then a bus and a, rented a car and went to this small town called Loundonville. And there is a river there. And uh, Saturday morning at 6 o'clock, we started the, the journey. We started the run. And it's mountainous area. Sometimes we were on our behind sliding down or climbing up. And then we had to have... A, a headlight and a flashlight when one during so we can use it during the night time night times because it's not we, we, we you do not expect to finish hundred miles during the daytime it was impossible so by I did that twice and I will never do it again because it was exhausting uh, you start hallucinating. During the night, you can get easily lost in the mountain. Um, what they put to to uh, direct us, um, a, I mean, uh, an arrow out of powders 
and the powder, if there is a wound, it's blown away, and then you have really to look very hard. Um, one day we were uh, on the mountain doing this, and suddenly we came across a huge deer that was missing half of it, and it didn't look like a human uh, uh, action. So the, well, obviously you got scared. You're in the middle of nowhere, and if you spread uh, 100 people over 100 miles, you probably are alone. And so I was with my running mate, uh, who's since then, he's done at least 1,500 miles run. Uh, we finished uh, by 10.30, close to 10.40, the Sunday morning. So it took the whole day, the whole night of Saturday until ele almost 11 o'clock Sunday morning to finish the 100 miles. And again, I will not do that anymore. It's, it's, I will, this is what I would consider to be crazy. Then one of our running mates one day said, you know, I just did an Ironman. I said, what's an Ironman? Um, he said, oh, I went uh, to Coeur d'Alene in northern Idaho and did an Ironman. It's a triathlon, triathlon, swimming, biking, and running. So my close running mate said, we couldn't let Arlen be the only one in our group to do an Ironman. I mean, we had to. Um, otherwise, he's going to brag and brag and brag, and um, I will, we will not tolerate that. We couldn't. So we went to Sana Ski and bought, each bought two bikes, a road bike and a mountain bike, the mountain bike to train on, and, and the road bike to do. Yeah. And in 2004, 2004, we went to Coeur to do the first Ironman. 2004. Until then, from 1984 until 19, until two, 2004, it was nothing but run. And, and I'm, I was, I'm still, at the time, I was still looking into nutrition and modify. I haven't stopped looking at that even today. I'm reading about four books. Then I'll talk to you about those books in a future episode, God's willing. So the water and the we the beginning is in the water. As you know, an Iron Man, you start the swimming first. And uh, even with a wetsuit, the temperature of the lake was between 65 to 70. And that's really cold. When I jumped into the the, the lake. I was I had a I was shocked. I was shivering and I was I couldn't get comfortable until probably 15, 20 minutes into the swim. The swim, as some of you are Ironman, they you know, it's 2.4 mile. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's 2.4 mile. It's not a short distance. And I'm a lousy swimmer, so I just wanted to get out of the water. Anytime I do an Ironman, I pray to God, please God, get me out of the water because once I'm on, on, on land, on terra firma, I will be okay, regardless whether I'm biking or I'm running. So this was my first, and by about, I would say, 15 minutes before midnight, I, I, and I finished the, the, 
the Ironman. I crossed that finish line. And I'm looking for, I was expecting my running mate to be, to catch, to catch up with me on the run because he's, he's the best, a better runner than me. But I, I saw him at the finish line standing there. I said, what happened? He said, well, you know what? I jumped into the water. The poor guy is nothing but skin, muscles, and bone. His body fat is less than 10%. He's a typical, typical runner. Short, close to the ground, and nothing but skin, muscles, and bone. And he had a wetsuit, the smallest wetsuit that he could buy, but it wasn't small enough. So the water was running into him, and he, he became hypothermic, and they plucked him out of the water. So he couldn't, he, he couldn't finish, and uh, so he was out from the get-go. <clears throat> Finishing an Ironman, and to many of you who do Ironman, once you finish that, you, you cross that finish line, you completely forget about all the pain, all the anguish, all of the suffering, and you, you suddenly, they call your name, and they tell you, you are an Iron Man. And that is really, and they give you your medal, your uh, finishing shirt, and that was great. And uh, so I, we, two years later, we went back to the same place to do another one. I'm going to take a pause now and go back to what I learned through those years. So far, I've done about maybe 21 or 22 Ironman. I'll have to go and count my medals uh, to give you an exact uh, number. Uh, and some of them, so we start going into, in, I start going into different places. My running mate, we went back to 2006. And again, the poor guy, after I finished and crossed that line, he was still waiting for me at the finish line. By that time, he had bought a specially made wetsuit for him. And a, so he was able to, to finish the swim. When he was on his bike, uh, he started being feeling nauseated. He started to vomit. He was 20 miles away from finishing the, the bike. And he became dehydrated and he had to stop. As a conclusion, his wife told him, listen, honey, you are good for running, but Ironman is not good for you. You're not an Ironman. He quit doing it and started doing it on my own without his company, which is very, very useful and very heartwarming when you get to the run. And even on the bike, you, you try to be together and you, uh, you enjoy the, uh, the event a lot more than being on your own by yourself. So what did I learn from that moment? As you know, if you are an Ironman or you've done Ironman or you're about to do an Ironman, the most important things are what? Calorie replacement by eating and drinking. Number two, electrolyte replacement, and that's very, very important. And number three, water or Gatorade replacement. So these are three things. If you are not 
replacing those, you will get completely wiped out and you will not be able to finish. And every Ironman that I've done is different. The environment is different. The heat is different. The humidity is different. The elevation is different. So you have to keep adjusting all of your intakes until you are, you perfectly know, because if you repeat the same place, you know what to expect. And I've done that. Um, um, so you have to know, well, the bike is obviously you cannot eat or drink during the water, the, uh, the swim part, but you do swallow a lot of water. Um, it, you can't help it. You would swallow a lot of water. Um, so when you get on the bike, that is the time to eat. That is to the, the time to nourish yourself. And you have to eat solid food. You have to eat crackers. You have to eat, uh, you can eat anything. But the problem is uh, there is a huge industry that everything you, you eat or you drink is based on carbohydrates. And carbohydrates are okay. But if you keep, I see people taping on their, on the bar of their bikes, a lot of, um, you know, gels. And every half an hour, they just put one in. If you, if you are nothing on gel and sugar and caffeine, you may get at one point in time nauseous. You may get nauseated. And I see a lot of people standing on the side of the road during the run and even during the bike and throwing up. And because if you get behind on water replacement, caloric, calorie replacement, and electrolyte replacement, the stomach will, will spasm, go into spasm, and will not allow anything to go through. So eating during the bike is very, very important. And I've tried and I've worked with a lot of electrolyte replacement, and um, I shy away from uh, nothing but carbs. You see, what they do the night before, as you know, you've done some running or some biking or Ironman. The night before, they call it, uh, uh, you know, uh, carbohydrate loading. Uh, well, this is a misnomer. When carbohydrate, you cannot store carbohydrate. The only place where you could store carbohydrates is e either the livers, the liver, or and the muscle. The liver uh, is the, depending on the side size of your liver, you can store in there in, in the form of glycogen between 60 to 90, depending on the size of the liver. And that's enough, whatever you store in the liver, the carb, that's enough for the brain for about 12 hours. The muscles, you could store, the, if you're a muscular person, you have between 300 and 400 grams uh, of, of glucose that you can store. And for the muscle, they will not give up their glucose <clears throat> because it acts like an ignition key to start uh, and there are uh, to start the, the the muscle work. And now there are two through school of thoughts. One is every one of us, every one of us has at least at least um, a few pounds of fat. Even the smallest one of us, we have a lot more fat and. Since we cannot store 
uh, carbs. We cannot store, fat. I mean, we can store fat. Anything in excess amino acid, fatty acid, carb, you store them as fat. Any excess goes into the fat. So if you have fat, we all do. We all do uh, with certain uh, uh, variation. We have fat. But if you want to access your fat during the Ironman or during a 50 mile or 100 miles, you have to restrict your intake of carb three weeks before so that you can get access to your fat and start burning fat, which is a high octane uh, 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 energy. Uh, a gram of fat, if you burn a gram of fat, it will generate nine calories. A gram of carb, it will generate four calories. The same for the protein or the amino acid. So when you say um, carb load the night before, you're not carb loading. You're loading on the fat. And if the next day your, your, your nutrition is nothing but carbs, then there is a possibility of, um, of uh, developing diarrhea during, even during the bike or during the, the run. So that's not good to do. Anyhow, so I kept going until I qualified to go to Kona. As you know, Kona is the international championship, Ironman International Championship. And when you go to Kona and you think you are somebody, and then suddenly in your group, <laughs> there are a lot more people than what you expected because they're coming from all over the planet. And uh, so now you're tested by the best, by the best. And Kona, if, if some of you went to Kona, as you know, you have hot, it's heat, it's humidity, and wind. And the wind, especially when you're biking, uh, uh, you know, along the sea side, the ocean side, you have a lot of wind. And you can, I, I would grip my, my hand on the bike just to stay on my back. You'll push, any gust of wind will push you to the side of the road. So you have to maintain control. When you go inside, the inland is not as, 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 uh, as uh, windy as the, along the shore. So I did, I, I qualified three times to do a, to go to Kona. And my goal, even now, my goal is to be first in the world uh, in my age group. Not, I mean, I'm not a professional, uh, but to be first, and then I will write a book about it instead of doing a podcast right now uh, with, uh, with you. Uh, so what did I learn nutrition-wise, electrolyte replacement-wise, uh, calo calorie replacement-wise, energy replacement-wise, and what to wear and what to eat and when and how much. These are things that I will hopefully get to talk to you about. Uh, and during this journey, I learned a lot about nutrition. I'm still learning about nutrition, and it's changing completely. The mo uh, and something changed really about eight, nine years ago, where after the, uh, the mapping of the human genome, it was discovered by those who were working on it for 10 years 
that the human genetic makeup is very small. We only have between 23 to 24,000 uh, genes for a human being of our complexity. We're at the top of the animal kingdom. And that is surprising that we have so few genes. And what we found, found out, and some people discovered that, uh, there is a book called The Human Superorganism that I've read about, I would say, nine years ago. And it talks about that most of genes, our genetic makeup, is not a human genetic makeup. We have in us, around us, and in us, what we call a bacteria or bacterium. Some of these bacteria are sitting on our skin, in our mouth, in our nose, in our gastrointestinal system, and they basically control everything. Again, I will talk to you about those in a future episode when we talk on nothing but nutrition. So, when do we know how high is high? We don't know until we push the envelope. Once you push the envelope, you discover that you can do more with your human body, human mind. One day, years ago, years ago, when Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins was in Vogue, I mean, uh, one day, he had this uh, experience whereby walk on fire. And I really wanted to walk on fire. What do you mean walk on fire? So I purchased an airline ticket. One day I landed in San Diego. Then from there I was going to the place where the event is going to take place. It was taking place in a Holiday Inn hotel where the, there is a front court and as I entered the hotel, there was three, what appears to be, three mountains of wood uh, in there. Uh, so I got, we got inside. There was maybe a couple of hundred people in there. And he started talking to us. And, um, and then by, by, I would say, midnight, we started at, at uh, 9 o'clock in the evening. And by midnight, they lit fire in those three mountains. And these mountains were spread along a 12 feet um, trail. 12 feet long bed and I would say 4 feet wide. And there was three of them. Obviously we all signed a I mean, I released them from any responsibility. We released them from any, if we get burned, it's our, 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 our responsibility. And then we all took our shoes off, we rolled up our pants, and our socks were taken off. And then we lined up three groups in front of those three beds. And you know, look at them. I, I didn't look at them. I initially, I didn't want to look at them because we worked out uh, psychologically, spiritually, during the three hours between 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock, whereby somehow we were believing that we're going to walk on those ambers and not to get burned. I mean, we were not saying, do not think about being burned. We were in a different stratosphere. 
we were in a different environment. And somehow, I, when my turn came, and I walked. You have to walk slowly. This is not, you don't run. And you never look down. You just walk slowly, deliberately slowly, until you finish the 12 feet uh, bed of embers. And there is a guy at the end holding a hose with water just in case some embers were uh, embedded between the toes. I crossed that line, that bed, and then I looked back and I saw the embers. I had no redness on my feet. I looked at my, I'm a physician, I'm a plasticist. I looked at my feet, nothing, nothing whatsoever, no redness, no burn, no nothing. And I crossed and walked on fire for the first time in my life. And I'm still, till today, I'm still questioning how did this take place? How is it? Well, knowing that we are physical being, that's what we think. We are physical being. What happened? How come we stopped the physical effect of those ambers? on our body. And I'm going to end up at this point. We'll talk again in our next episode. And I, I bid you uh, goodbye. And hopefully we'll see you soon. I'm going to hopefully release this podcast once edited and uh, worked on. And I hope you will share with me my experience and learn from what I've learned and I'm still learning, and you cannot stop learning. This is a self-discovery that you will have to undertake in order to know who you are and if there are limits to what you can do. Goodbye, and see you next time.